0: Now, I think we can all agree that it's impossible to quantify the value of a mother, isn't it? Um, But uh, salary.com in 2010 tried to do that. They tried to quantify the value of a mother. And so they figured out all of the jobs that a mother does, and they they then uh, put dollar figures next to it. Now, obviously... They couldn't do that with all the jobs a mother does. Every mother's different. But they they took 10 of the most common tasks. They are laundry machine operator, janitor, van driver, computer operator, housekeeper, daycare center teacher, cook, CEO, therapist, and facilities manager. Took all of those jobs, uh, and uh, they discovered that if you were to pay someone to do those things, it would cost, it would cost you over $143,000 in today's money. So it was, it was less, but I, I kind of did the inflation calculator thing. Over $143,000 in today's money. And, and uh, guess where the largest piece of the salary came from? Those of you who are maybe um, business owners or you supervise others, guess what the biggest piece of the salary came from? Time and a half from overtime. So, so there, is, there is no way to quantify the value of a mother. Well, we have this very touching scene of Jesus on the cross, and there he is interacting with his mother. And um, the scene is painted for us beautifully by the Apostle John. A little bit earlier in the chapter, in verses in chapter nineteen, second part of verse sixteen through eighteen, and so it says this: So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between him. So you can imagine the scene. And just for a few minutes, I'd like you to put yourself there. In the scene, imagine yourself standing near where Jesus is on the cross. Imagine all of the people who are there. Think about the countrymen of Jesus who are mocking him, uh, calling him to come down from the cross to prove that he is truly the Messiah, the religious leaders spitting on him, jeering at him. Or think about the Romans who were there, the Roman soldiers who had beaten him almost to the point. Of death, and then nailed him to a cross, gambling over his clothing. Think about what you can't see. The words of Jesus in Matthew 27 46, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine that scene. Also, um, allow your mind's eye to wander to another place. Actually, to the, to the place that's described by John in the verses that we read a moment ago. We're shown, um, we're shown a picture of, of five people. And I'll read that. It's verse 25 into the very beginning of verse 26. It says this, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and then we'll, we'll talk about the rest, but we get that picture of those people who are standing by the cross. Well, why, why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal on many levels, right? Jesus is, is being crucified. Of course, these are people that he would want with him in that hour of need. But it's not just a big deal from that vantage point. It's also a big deal from another vantage point. You have to remember that Jesus is being crucified, Because he has been convicted as a traitor against Rome. Anyone who had been standing near the cross and in support of Jesus would immediately come under suspicion. So now you have uh, these four women, and you have one man who is there. And like to uh, take a take a little bit of time and look into their stories now one of the one of the five we we really don't know anything about Mary the wife of Clopas and so we're not going to talk too much about her, but like to kind of zero in on the other on the other four people standing near the cross. But as we consider this text, I think it's important that we remember this that when we are in Christ, our past failures no longer define who we are. When we are in Christ, our past failures no longer define who we are. Now, um, let's let's look at the first person that we see mentioned near the cross. That's that's his mother. Unnamed, but we know who his mother was. His mother was Mary. And all of us love Mary. All, All of us love mothers. All of us love Mary. But... Mary was not perfect. Mary was not perfect, and the New Testament makes that very, very clear. Uh, now, we, we have this situation where Mary's there, and as we're looking at her, imagine again in your mind's eye, looking at her, you see the, you see the mother of this one who's on the cross. And, and probably the most painful thing that any parent could ever possibly do is bury their own child. And then we notice here in the midst of it that not only will Mary have that sad duty of seeing Jesus go into the tomb, but she will watch his execution. She will watch her son, who is innocent, being executed. And so um, so we we go back to another time, another time in Jesus' ministry, where we see her uh, in her pain as she contemplated her Son's future. We have to remember that a prophecy was given about Jesus when he was a baby by Simeon. Luke chapter 2 verses 34 and 35, it, it, we, we find it there. And Simeon said this about Jesus in Luke 2, 34 and 35, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This word here, for also, indicates that not only will a sword pierce through her soul, right? But it indicates that something terrible was going to happen to her son. So she knew this all of his life. She knew the prophecy. This word also is a huge word. And so as a result of it, when Jesus began his ministry, on one hand, he became incredibly popular, and you know the stories. The crowds were following him. Sometimes they, they, they would press up against him, almost crushing him, and in the, in the numbers of people who wanted to be around him and wanted to see him. But as his popularity grew, so did the hate of the religious leaders against him. And so on the one hand, you had all of these people who, who loved and admired Jesus, but also you had at the same time this increasing hatred of those who were opposed to Jesus. And Mary found herself caught in the vortex as on one occasion the religious leaders began saying terrible things about Jesus and what he was doing. And so Mary reacted to that badly. She reacted to that badly. We notice it in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and then again in verses 32 through 35. And I want to show you those two sections in Mark in the same chapter. So he went home, and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, we know that Mary was in that group. It was Mary and Jesus' brothers and they were saying Jesus was out of his mind. Well, that's exactly what his opponents were accusing him of being. And then uh, and then they went to retrieve Jesus. And this is the other part of the story. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and my mother. And so we see Jesus and his reaction in his rebuke of his mother and his brothers during that particular event. And we wonder what drove her. Was it fear? Was it fear? Was it peer pressure? We don't know. But but here is an interesting thing. That when Jesus needed her most, she was at the cross there for him. All of her worst fears had been realized the 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 thing that Simeon had said about him had come true, and now he was there on the cross and um I want to ask you today do you do you ever feel those of you who are mothers here do you ever feel as if uh, when you look back at your your motherhood, do you ever look back and, and see the, the, the failure of the past and and, and and it glares at you? And you feel a kind of brokenness over that? Maybe as a parent, maybe the wrong decisions you made, maybe the things that you did, you wish you could go back and fix things that you can't go back and fix. Well, if you feel that way, well then you know exactly how Mary felt, I'm sure as she reflected on her life. Here she was. She was the mother of the Son of God. She was an imperfect person, and she was the mother of a perfect person. Uh, how, how her failures could not have been right before her eyes uh, in, in more stark contrast to the, to the perfection of her Son, it, it would have been impossible. Yet notice what we see happen at the, at the cross. Despite her failures, she didn't let her failures define her. What defined her was the cross. What defined her was the forgiveness that she experienced in Jesus. What defined her was the new life that she found through her son. She gave her son physical life, but he gave her spiritual life so that it was at that moment that she could be in his presence and perfectly at ease because he loved her with an undying love. Her, her past failures were forgiven, and so it is for you. If you're, if you're a mother and you feel the weight of guilt or you contemplate the past, I want you to know that, that you can come into Christ's presence just as Mary did and experience the same forgiveness that she experienced because, because he forgave her, and so he forgives you. You see, you see, we find it. We find release at the cross. We find freedom at the cross. Second person that we're given here, a picture of, is his mother's sister. Now, we ask the question, who? His mother's sister? How, how do we figure out who that is? Well, a little cross-referencing can help us. A little Bible study can help us. Now, we can't say with 100% certainty exactly who his mother's sister is, but I think we can make a pretty strong guess, a pretty good guess. So in order to do that, we're going uh, to compare this passage and then we're going to look at two others, Matthew 27, 56, and Mark 15, 40. And so if we could take a look at that, um, those three passages, and we will, we will look at that together. So we have um, John 19, 25, Matthew 27, 56, Mark 15, 40. Okay. So here, here it is. So now we're given a, a description of those who are at the cross. Now, this one is unique, and it tells us that Mary's there. The other ones don't mention that. But it says near the cross, Jesus stood. Uh, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Okay, so we have four women who are here listed. Now let's look at um, let's look at a next passage that gives us a description of who's there. Matthew twenty seven fifty six. Or actually, we'll just go to Mark fifteen forty. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene. She was mentioned in all three accounts. Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph. By the way, uh, we see all these Marys, right? It was the most common name of the day. You can see that in the New Testament. So you, you have um, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, which is Joseph. And then you have another person named there named Salome. Now Salome, Salome is, is likely the name of Mary's sister because Mary's parents wouldn't have named both their daughters Mary. That would have been just as unusual in the ancient world as it is today. And so more than likely, Salome is the name of this woman. Now, let's continue to do a little more, little more investigation. Matthew 27, 56. Among them were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, or Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now we have another indication. Well, who were Zebedee's sons? James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. Which means that more than likely, James and John were Jesus' cousins. Which means more than likely that the apostle who wrote this gospel, John the Apostle, was Jesus' cousin. So we have this, we have this uh, this this picture of who she was. But when we look at her life, we can see that she was someone who was ambitious for her children. She was someone who wanted her kids to live in the lap of luxury, and she wanted her kids to experience things. um, wanted Wanted her kids to have a favorite place that other people wouldn't have to displace them. In fact, we have a picture of this in Matthew chapter twenty, verses twenty to twenty two. We have the, the, the mother of Zebedee. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So they believed that uh, Jesus was going to come, that he was going to liberate Israel, that he was going to defeat Rome, that he was going to take his seat as king, and then as a result of that, uh, he was going to have unlimited power and authority, and she wanted her two sons to have that unlimited uh, position at his right and left hand to the exclusion of the other disciples. And so she had this lust for power and this ambition for her sons, and she wanted them to have it apart from all of the other disciples and the decisions that Jesus would make. Uh, she wanted her kids to have the place that was foremost, the place that was, that was most important. And as a result of that, um, Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. And so Jesus then rebukes the boys, James and John, rebukes their mother for asking this question because they had no idea what they were asking for. And so, um, so we, we have this other person who's standing before the cross of, of Christ and she has a past. A past filled with um, selfish ambition. How about you? When you think about your past... And you think about your desires. Do you do you have selfish desire where you would you would want to take something that belongs to another person just so you can have it? Do you have a do you have a past where you would you would place yourself in front of another person and you know that you know that's part of the heart of who you are? Here we have a woman who's just like that. She has this, this insane ambition for her kids. But when it counted, when it mattered. When everything came falling down, you have to remember the Bible says that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. When when all of her dreams for her sons, when all of her dreams for Jesus, when all of the dreams that she had for the future, when all of those things came crashing down upon her, she came into the presence of Jesus and she experienced true forgiveness she came into the presence of Jesus, into the presence of one who could wash all of that away. We have this, we have this picture of, the, of, this, of this woman in this situation. We're given a third woman. and We're skipping Mary, Mary, the wife of Clopas. We just, again, don't know who she is. We have, an, we have another woman that we notice here at the cross. Her name is Mary Magdalene. She's prominent. She's prominent in the, in the, in the scriptures, but we only catch a few glimpses of her. One of the things that we know about her is that she's a former demoniac. Uh, Notice notice in in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it gives us this description of who she was. Soon afterwards, she went on through the cities and villages, or or he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom... Seven demons had gone out. So we have this picture of who she was. She was a woman who, in her former life, was demon-possessed. She was from a city called Magdala, which was known for its immorality. It It was known of just being a bad place. So she was from a bad place, and she had a bad past in that bad place. Do you ever feel like that? When you think about your past, the things that you've done, maybe you've dabbled in the, in the ways of darkness. Maybe, um, maybe when you look back at your past, maybe a little like Mary Magdalene, you, you, have, um, you have allowed yourself to go to those, those um, places of evil. That now when you look back at it, you shudder. You can't believe that you did those things. Can you imagine how she must have felt in the presence of Jesus? Jesus, pure, holy, perfect. And then when she looked upon her life, she was one who had, she was, she was demon-possessed, and she was, she was living in a dark world, and she was from a dark place, and her past life was completely dark. You ever feel like that when you think about your past? You, maybe you think, think about your past, and the things that you've done is almost unforgivable. Maybe, maybe you, you, you feel a, a, some self-loathing as you think about yourself and your own life, and you, you ask yourself, who could accept you? Where did, where did Mary find acceptance? She found it at the cross. She found it at the cross. Reminds me of a story of a pastor in Wales, probably about 100 years ago. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. And um, he, he, was a, he was a renowned doctor, a renowned young doctor, and he felt God's call to go into the ministry. So he ended up going to become the pastor of this little tiny church in Wales, a church that was, that was a, if you read the story about it, before he got there, it seemed about as dead as a doornail. No spiritual life in that church. And he began to preach the gospel there in the church. And all of a sudden the town, revival began to break out in the town. And the, and the town was, was, was spiritually dead. And, and then um, so many people would come to the worship services that they, they, couldn't, they, they, they couldn't keep people out. And there would sometimes be people out uh, fill up all the pews and people would be outside trying to listen in. And, and there was one Sunday night where this, this woman who lived in town, who was a local palm reader, fortune teller, whatever she was, I can't remember exactly, she was there in her place, and, and as soon as the revival began to break out in that little, that little town, um, her, her business started to dry up. And so there she was one day sitting in her home or sitting in her parlor, I don't know what it was, but she could see the scores of people who were walking by her window on their way to church. And finally, she was tired of sitting there all by herself, and so she put on her clothes and she went over to the church and she heard the good news of the gospel that she could be free from all of these things, all of this darkness, all of the, the, the ways of witchcraft. She, she heard about the freedom that she could have in Christ and she said when she was there and she heard the message of the gospel, she realized that there was a very powerful spirit in the room and she said, but that spirit that she realized was in the room was a clean spirit. And that woman that night turned away from her witchcraft, turned away from palm reading, turned away from whatever she was doing, fortune telling, uh, whatever it was that she was doing, she turned away from all of those things and became a follower of Jesus and the rest of her life was completely changed. When she came into the presence of Jesus, she was made into a new person. I'm convinced that there are people here today who when you think about your past, you shudder. You say to yourself, well, if the, if the people around me knew who I, was, who I am and what I've done, they would never accept me. I want you to know, I want you to know that no matter who you are, no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, you find acceptance at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Mary Magdalene did. I'm sure that everyone would have rejected her. Imagine pious Israel. Imagine the people who are so fervent in their devotion, and their religious worship. Imagine what they thought about, about Mary Magdalene. And then we have in the midst of this story, we have Jesus who is utter perfection. Not a, not a wrong word ever came out of his mouth. Not a wrong action he ever did. Not a moment when he, where he wasn't appropriate in the way that he dealt with someone. And, and here you have the highest, most holy person who's ever walked the earth. Come into contact with this woman who was, was once dabbling in the magic arts, likely. She was filled with demons. She was someone from a bad place. And then when she came into the presence of Jesus, she was forgiven. Her shame was gone. She had new life. And I want you to know that that's the same thing for you, that in Jesus you can experience this kind of forgiveness and transformation. And, and nothing in this world that this world could ever offer could be anything as wonderful as that we have this picture of mary magdalene and we we have another picture of another person we have another picture of another person it's the only male present at least the only male mentioned. and this is john this is john we know it's john because in verse 26 he's called the disciple who jesus loved and that's the way he referred to himself and by the way, you ever wonder why John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved instead of referring to himself by name? There's lots of theories about why John might have done that. Some people say that, well, maybe John John uh, had a had a big ego. But the reality is, is that that, w- that wouldn't have been the case because, um, because John mentions that Jesus said that. That true love is this, to lay down your life for a friend. So, so uh, Jesus called the other disciples his friends. Jesus loved the other disciples. Or, or maybe it's just a, it's a, it's a kind of humility, and he didn't want to mention his name, his own name. But perhaps it was just the way he liked to think of himself. Think about it in, in your life. Imagine, imagine if you thought about yourself this way. Instead of when we hear the word, the disciple that Jesus loved instead of hearing the thinking the name John how about if you insert your name in there i'm the disciple jesus loved well two things come to mind number one it means that 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 we need to be disciples we need to imitate the master but the other thing is is that he loves me he loves me you know there's there is so much self loathing in this world isn't there so so often we hate ourselves for who we are, we hate ourselves for our life, we hate ourselves for, for all kinds of things, and then to actually personalize this and say, no, God loves me, Jesus loves me, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves, how, how that would transform our prayer life, how that would transform the way that we read the Bible, when we read the Bible knowing that, that this is written by a God who loves me. One of the things that we notice when we look at John is that he was a disappointment among disappointments. Um, remember, remember, um, Jesus spent, what, years with his disciples, right? About three years. And after all of that time, when it comes to the great culmination, one betrays him. The spokesman for the disciples, he denies him three times. And then the night before, when Jesus was in the garden, he pled with Peter, James, and John. He pled with them to pray and watch. And guess what? Three times Jesus prayed, or or pled with them to pray and watch, and uh, all three times, what what do we notice uh, John doing? He fell asleep. That's right. All three times, John fell asleep. Then we read that uh, all the disciples left him and fled. And at least for some short time, John must have been one of them. He left and he fled. You see, John messed up royally the night before Jesus was put on the cross. Now, John did do some good things the night before as well. But, but initially, he, he went to sleep when Jesus asked him to pray. And, uh, and he fled initially when Jesus was arrested in that hour of need. Let me ask you a question. Um, Did you mess up last night? Did you mess up last night? Did you lose your temper? Um, Did you say something you shouldn't have said? Um, Did you harbor sinful attitudes? Did you watch something you shouldn't have watched? Did you fire up your computer and view images that you shouldn't have looked at? Did you listen to things that you shouldn't have listened to? Did you entertain things in your mind that you shouldn't have entertained? You have to remember that it was just a few hours before all of this that John did what he did. But notice now where he is. He's at the cross. He's at the cross. You see, freedom is found at the cross. And um, I want you to know That yesterday doesn't define you when you come to the cross. You see, when, when you come to the cross, when you come to Christ, when you enter into a relationship with him, when you believe on him, what Jesus was doing there on the cross was paying for the sins that John committed the night before. He was paying for the sins that John would commit throughout the rest of his life. It was only at the cross that John found safety. It was only at the cross that John found life. And the same is true of us. We might be carrying the weight of sin on our back. We might feel like a Christian in Pilgrim's Progress who, who, who feel like the, feels like that weight is overwhelming and, and, and we can't bear it anymore. And just like Christian in the story, we need, to, we need to come to the cross and we need to drop that burden in the cross and, and live and that's why Jesus came. It was to set us free. And so we find out at the cross, it's really where John finds his liberation. And it's at the cross that we find our liberation. And it's at the cross that we find our life. So as broken people, how do we express our love for Christ? We have two or three points of application I'd like to share with you. Three points of application. Number one, number one, by loving our physical family, by loving our physical family, Loving our physical family. Now, we notice how Jesus kept the law perfectly. And we see that in this moment. Where um, he kept the, f- the fifth commandment, right? The fifth commandment, Exodus twenty twelve. 12. Uh, it says this. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. We see that Jesus did this. So think about this for a moment. Jesus has the nails... Driven through his hands and his feet, he has been beaten to the point of near death, and there he is on the cross, and what is he thinking about? He's thinking about his mother's well-being. Not amazing. Look at that dedication that he has to his physical family. just want to mention a couple of things what is, how does this, how does this translate in the way that we love our parents maybe maybe you have a strained relationship with your parents how does God want us to how does God want us to approach that well we need to be creative and thoughtful in the way that we love them we need to visit them we need to remember them on special days it's interesting it's amazing that even on this day when Jesus had so many other things going on his thought was taking care of his mother what a beautiful example. We need to honor them with our words. Maybe um, uh, maybe, maybe your, your, your mother has passed away. Your father's passed away. Well, we need to honor them still. What are the ways that we talk about our parents even after they're gone? We need to honor our parents. We need to take care of them. We are to love them. We are to be thoughtful. We are to treat them well. Second thing, though, we notice as a point of application is this. Um, as broken people, how do we express our love for Christ by loving our spiritual family now it 's interesting. Jesus had brothers. We know that. So why didn 't he want his brothers to take care of his mother? Well, the answer to that is simple: Our spiritual ties are more binding than our physical ones. Our spiritual ties are more binding. Than our physical ones. In fact, we read in John seven five about Jesus' brothers. It says this: For not even his brothers believed in him. And then, uh, what is it that we find in what is it that we find in the gospel in a relationship with Christ? Romans eight fourteen and fifteen. It says this: For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of Sonship uh, receive the Spirit of adoption as sons, in whom we cry, Abba, Father. So, so what do we notice here? That happens. Well, when we are born, we're born once physically into this world. We have uh, a physical parents. We well, you know that. And um, but when we enter into a relationship with God, we're born again spiritually. We're born into a spiritual relationship when we're adopted into the family of Christ. And so as we're in this place, as you look around you, and, and maybe you're a person that, uh, maybe you don't, have a, you don't have a mom who's living. Well, well, you do have living mothers in this place. Or, or maybe, maybe you're here in this place and you say to yourself, well, I don't have children. Well, you have children in this place. You see, when we come to Christ, a whole new family forms. We become part of a, a, of a, of a new people. And so we notice here that, that when we celebrate Mother's Day, that's why we celebrate all ladies. Because in Christ, we have this, this new relationship with Christ and with one another that transcends even our physical ties. And then the third one is this, the third one is this, by meeting at the cross, by meeting at the cross. How do broken people express our love for Christ By meeting at the cross. So here here, here's what we have at the cross. We have have an imperfect mother, we have a former demoniac, we have an ambitious aunt, we have an astray disciple. And uh, we think about all of them. We think about their past. And, And you know their past didn't define them. You know what defined them and their future? It's the cross. And there might be someone here who is carrying a whole weight of guilt from your past as, you're, as, as you've joined together in worship. You, you feel as if you have transcended some boundary where God could never forgive you. Look at the people that we're looking at here. Just as, just as he forgave them, he will forgive you. And in him you will find life and you will find the sweetness of fellowship with himself and with others. You'll become part of a family that is, that is greater and more wonderful than anything you could imagine. And the question is, is whether or not you've come to him. Whether you've come to the cross. You see, it's not our past and our sin that defines us. It's the cross that defines us. It's Christ who defines us. It's our relationship with him that we are defined. And it's in that relationship with him that broke the brokenness in our hearts is made whole. Do you feel broken? Do you feel weak? In Christ you can find healing. In Christ, you can find hope. In Christ, he will mend you back together again, and in Christ, you will be made whole, just like they were. Do you know this, Savior? Nothing's more important than that. Let's pray. Oh, Father...